0: you may be seated. Good morning. Try that again. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It is good to be with you today to worship, to dedicate these families and these children to the Lord. And I pray that today will be a day that the Lord will work in our hearts to shape us into the one he created us to be, which is to be in the image of Christ. Uh, before we get too far into it, I want to take a moment as you turn in your Bibles to where we're going to be today in Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to take a moment and uh, I'm going to open up one of these. And so parents, when you get home, when you receive one of these, and if you've got a grandchild or a child that uh, is still at the age where they love board books, in fact some of my kids that are out of that age still love this particular Bible, uh, I want you to notice that what we try to do is to equip you with a book that... Uh, makes it really easy for you to teach Bible stories to your kids that always show what the whole Bible is about, that it always eventually points us to Jesus. And so when you open this up, you'll see these beautiful stories. Look how short they are. Really good, right? Beautiful pictures. It feels really nice, soft and cuddly. I think we have uh, one, of ours, one of these in our house that's been through all six of our kids or all five of them before our newest child. And uh, so we are so thankful to have a new one because ours does not look this pretty anymore. Uh, It's been uh, destroyed a little bit, and that's a good reason to be used up. Uh, But one of the things you can do, I challenge you dads. Dads, look at me for a second. I challenge you, fathers. um, When I first had our first little one, Hannah, uh, I did not know what to do with a baby. The most I'd ever held a baby was for about four seconds before that, and it was in the football position because that's all I knew how to carry, anything like that. And uh, I was pretty overwhelmed. I remember sitting, holding Hannah in a little rocking chair we had, and I remember asking my wife, who seemed so natural with children, I said, what do I do? And how do I do it? And I would say, how do you read to a child? How do you talk to a child? And uh, she just began to share just gently about her heart and how she does it with love and grace and pointed me to how the Lord cares for us. And so I began to get a little crazy, dads, and uh, I'm not a great singer by any stretch, Uh, But I began to make up tunes to each one of these two-verse little stories, and I would sing them to my kids at bedtime, and that would be how we would memorize these stories. And so I challenge you, if you don't want to sing, that's fine, but get animated with your children. Show them that the Word of God is not just some stories in history, but it actually points us to our one and only hope now and forever, which is Jesus. And use this resource, use it up to where it's hardly able to stay together like the one we have at home And uh, we hope that it will be a blessing to you as it has been to our family. Now for the rest of you adults, we've got the adult version today. So I hope you're ready for it. Uh, If you uh, don't have it with you, we're going to have the scripture verses up on the screens for you. We've been in a series about how to pray. And we've tried to do a simple acrostic that many people have heard of before. Uh, Each week has been a different letter of the acrostic. We've used the word ACTS, A-C-T-S. We started off the first week with adoration. Basically, I think we forget that prayer is not just asking for things. It's about being in the presence of the God who loved you so much that he sent his one and only son who's worth more than all of creation combined to rescue us from our sin and from death. And he wants to bring us home with him. And so we start off in our prayer time with him. The best way the scriptures show us is to adore him. And so we make much of him as we begin to speak to him. And often that awakens our heart to actually pray in a way that's real communication with the God who oversees and carries and sustains us. And then we get into confession of our sin and asking for God to forgive us. And we repent there under the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. And then we let into last week we covered... Thanksgiving, and that's an often missed part of our prayer life, unless you're around a table about to eat some food. Amen. And then we thank the Lord for that. Uh, sometimes we even pray and forget to thank the Lord. Anybody guilty of that at dinner time? Anybody pray for something and you forget to say thanks? What we learned last week is that all the things that we have received from the Lord, especially Jesus, should lead us to gratitude, and that colors the entirety of our life on this earth until God comes to take us home. Thanksgiving is so important. But this week, we get into the part that all of us already know how to do. So you could just tune me out. I hope you won't, because I think we're going to learn some things about how to do it in a way that is the way God asks us to pray to Him. But we're going to talk about the S part, which is supplication. And that word supplication means to go to God with our needs, to go to Him with our needs. Now, listen, you may have heard some of these things before I'm talking about already. I guarantee you today in His Word, we're going to see some things that will color how you understand prayer, and if you listen and you understand these are God's words to us about how to talk to him about our needs, and if you understand that he's a heavenly father who loves us like we love these little children, and that we want to provide for them with everything that we can, and he's the one who owns all things, who's over all things, in control of all things, so we know he can provide. If we listen to his words to us about how to ask, we can rest assured that he will answer our prayers in the way that is best for us. It's not always the way we think it should be. It's not always in the timing we ask for it, but it is always the right answer at the right time. And so let's learn today how we do that. Look with me, if you would, in Philippians chapter 4. I'm actually going to do a weird thing for you. If you're not used to reading the Bible here with us, I want to give you a little bit of a clue. The Bible, did you know when it was written, it didn't have verses and chapter numbers in it? Did you know that? Anybody know that? A few of you knew that? Um, It's pretty interesting because we often think that all those things kind of were there. We act like they've always been there. But did you know that this particular idea here... Paul is at the end of a letter to the church at Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. And as he's speaking to them in this letter, at the end, he does what he does often in his letters. He kind of summarizes some major points and lays out a bunch of things all together. And in verse 4, he talks about rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. And then he says, let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. And then right here, we pick up where we're going to be today. It says, the Lord is at hand. That's a unique statement. The Lord is at hand. And then in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, But even this morning, I had some anxiety in my heart knowing I was going to have my children up on stage with me. You know what I mean? Anybody, other parents, worried about the noise they're going to make, worried about how distractions can happen? I'm sure that others in here have anxieties that are even much greater than that that you're walking with. You're worried about loved ones. You're worried about careers. You're worried about the world itself. You're worried about your own health. There's many things that bring anxiety to our hearts, and today I'm going to lead you to the cure for our anxiety, and I promise you it can change your life. Before we go there, though, let's ask God to bless this reading and study of his word so that he would hopefully open our minds and our hearts so that it would make change in us so we can live out the truths of his scriptures. Father, we have prayed to you many times already, but Lord, we adore your son, Jesus. We are so thankful that you gave us Jesus. And because of that, we can come to you in boldness, making our requests known to you. Lord, help us this morning to understand how to do that and why we can. Lord, change us so that we are more like Jesus when we leave than when we first walked in. This is our prayer, Father, before you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. He says here in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything. All right, so we've all failed that. True? Yes? Hey, let, me, let me help. Okay, so I've got a couple of ladies over here that will speak back to me every time. The rest of the room kind of has to warm up to it. So this is your warm up, okay? Do not be anxious about anything. Have a few of us failed in that even today? Yes, yes, we have. We have failed, and that's okay. Just like Brian said earlier, we will fail. Jesus did not fail. And so we have a Savior who is perfect even when we cannot be, and that is our true hope. But He commands us, and it is a command. This is God commanding us to not be anxious about anything. That's a strong command. And you should know that according to the Word of God, any command that we fail at is what's called a sin. It means we miss the mark. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And we are not living up to the standard for which we were created to live up to. And that's the basic problem of the whole Bible, is that we fail to live up to what we're created to be and do. And yet God loves us so much that He's willing to overcome that by sending His perfect Son to live the life that we fail at. Jesus lived it perfectly, sinlessly, always hitting the mark. And then He went to Calvary, to the hill on which He died, on the cross, taking the just punishment that we deserve so that we could be seen by God as righteous, even though we're not, so that we could be in relationship with him because he's holy and we have to be holy to be in his presence. He is too holy to be in the presence of sin and of those who fail. So Jesus bore our punishment, our condemnation, so that we could be brought into God's presence without any worry or concern about that condemnation. Jesus took it all for us on the cross. And so, when he tells us, do not be anxious for anything, he means that because he's already overcome all the reasons of greatness that we should be concerned. Because when you step into the presence of a holy God in your sinfulness, that concern will overwhelm you to the point of coming undone at the atomic level. That's what we see happening in Isaiah 6. When he sees God high and lifted up, he says immediately, I am coming undone because I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips and we have failed but there's good news God has provided covering for that and he's washed away that sin in the blood of his son Jesus on the cross in our place that is something we're celebrating and it leads us to the next part of it in fact I want you to see what he says again in verse 6 or verse 6 chapter 4 where he says do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving Let your requests be made known to God. So here I'm here to tell you, stop being anxious. If that was all we had to hear, it'd be great, right? It's not. We've had anxiety in our household this week with my father-in-law who's been very sick. You've been praying for him, thank you. The Lord has been answering your prayers. Thank you for praying for him, supplicating on his behalf. There's many that are praying for similar things that aren't seeing that yet, but even now, the anxiety still lies in residual ways, even though it's less than in our own family for the moment. For your family, there's lots of anxiety. And he's telling you, do not be anxious for anything. That means in any situation, in any way, but in everything, these are all inclusive, nothing you can hold on to separately, but in everything, he says, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let me explain to you why that's some good news for you. Go back and look at verse 5, at the very end of verse 5, where he says these words leading up to it. The Lord is at hand. You see, first and foremost, the reason this can work is because the Lord our God is truly real. And you must believe that he is truly real in order to understand this and to be able to walk without the anxiety that comes from depending on yourself alone. And he is the almighty God. The one who created everything out of nothing. He spoke it into being when there was nothing. He's the author of our faith. And let us remember, we are not the author of our faith. And that is good news too. He's a sustainer of our faith and of our lives. We cannot sustain it no matter how hard we try. And he is the almighty one because we are not. That is good news. It is where our hope resides. And not only is he this transcendent almighty creator, but he's also our heavenly father that loves you so much that even when you fail, he came to you with Jesus and sent Jesus to come and bring you home. And that's the kind of father that I don't know if I could ever be to give my child up for you, even if I love you very much, but that's how much he loves us. So the fact that it says the Lord is at hand is good because it helps us to recognize he is the sovereign of the universe. And the fact that he is at hand, or your Bible might say that he is near, is also good news. We must recognize that he is close. Psalm 34 reiterates this when he says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. This is the God we're speaking of, and he is close to you even now. Even if you've been far from him, he is in all places at once. He is omnipresent. So you cannot truly be far from him. You've just got your eyes averted from him and his glory and his goodness. And all you've got to do is turn them right back to him. You're not like the prodigal who had to run across the land to get back to his father. Just turn and set your eyes upon Jesus and look whole in his wonderful face. And truly the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is good news for us. The anxiety can fall because he is near to us. It's good news, right church? Good news. We must also recognize that God has given us a clear path to counter our anxiety. This anxiety of unbelief really is what it is. Our heart wants to believe, but our heart also wants to not believe it because we don't see some of the evidences we hope for. And so he gives us a counter for this anxiety about anything by making our requests known to God in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. There's a a commentator named Rainey, and he says uh, this very well. I think he caught the significance very well when he said, The way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. Let that sink in. The way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. These words in the Scriptures... Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. These aren't just words from Paul talking to people in Philippi 2,000 years ago. These are the Almighty God speaking His words by His powerful Holy Spirit through a man, His servant, written down 2,000 years ago that is still alive and made real to us today because His Holy Spirit is still present among us, convicting us of our sin and leading us to find our hope in Him. And so this truth these are not just words from some giant of the faith a long time ago these are words from the holy righteous God to you today to counter the anxiety that you might be walking in Notice that we are commanded to make our requests known not just out there but to God specifically Look at those words in chapter 6 in chapter 4 verse 6 Don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God that preposition, too, implies a reorientation to the face-to-face nature of relationship with God. It means you must turn to the Lord, and he will be face-to-face with you as you make these requests. I don't know about you, but I've got some friends that get tired of hearing about my struggles. They won't tell me that directly, but I can tell it in their voice sometimes. You know what I mean? I've got some people that get tired of hearing it. Maybe my wife sometimes. Sometimes. I get tired of hearing my own voice talk about my struggles and my woes are me. Let me tell you something. Our Father, who's in heaven, never tires of you coming to him over and over and over. In fact, he's beckoning for it right now through his word. In everything, by all prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. We have story after story in the Bible that shows us over and over and over again that he loves us to come to him. He wants us to be in his presence. He never tires of it. In fact, he makes it very clear. If you lack wisdom, he says in James 1.5, let him ask God who lacks wisdom, who gives generously to all without reproach. It will be given to him. He wants to answer your prayers and he will do so in a way that's best for you. Just like I try to do with my own children, when they ask me for something, I try to give them the best thing. It may not be exactly what they're asking for, like the the second or third or fifth lollipop, right? But I try to give them the right things for them, the best things for them, because I can see and understand more than they do at this point. And so our Heavenly Father does for us. But I still love it when they come to me, just like He loves it when you come to Him. Others might tire of us coming about our requests and our suffering. He never tires. Listen, you may think that you've been walking so far away from him and for so long that he would not listen to you one moment, but I'm telling you here now, he's proved it that he wants to be in relationship with you and he wants to hear these requests and he wants to take away your anxiety. He's proven it because he sent his one and only son to come and save us so that we could be taken home with him. He's proven it already for us. And so you can trust that he wants you to come to him. Even today, He's asking you to come face to face with Him and to lift your prayers and your needs to Him as much as you want because He wants you to be in His presence. And that coming to God also implies dependence on Him. You recognize this is probably our greatest fault subconsciously that happens is that even if you say you love God already and that you're in a relationship through Jesus with God the Father, the creator of the world, the universe, that our greatest, I think, subconscious fault here is that we don't walk in total recognition of our utter dependence upon him every moment because in that he is glorified our hearts are filled with gratitude and when we don't recognize it we think that we're the ones in control and that's a bad place to be because when it goes wrong you have nothing but utter despair to see in yourself Instead of having a holy God that's already proven that he's defeated Satan and sin and death and hell in Christ on the cross. And all we have to do is place our hope in him. Let us put our dependence in him. First Peter chapter 5. Peter tells the church then and the Lord's telling us now. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on Him. Here's the reason. Because He cares for you. And you can know that because He gave Jesus for you. Psalm 55, says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. You are secure in Him if you put your hope and faith in Jesus. Matthew Harmon, another commentator, says it really well when he kind of sums it up. He says, A prayerless life, is a sign of, of a self-sufficient person. A prayerful life is a sign of a God-dependent person. So I ask you, are you walking in dependence upon the Lord this morning? Or are you walking as if you've got it all under control and it's all up to you? Because here's the ultimate thing you see. If you read the Bible at all and you see where God like brings down the hammer on nations and where he uh, talks about wrath and condemnation... The ultimate reason that that happens is because people try to steal his glory from him. It's impossible to do. And we're made to reflect that glory. That's what we're made in his image it talks about in Genesis. And when we don't live out that life in relationship with him, recognizing our dependence on him, we are actually trying to say, no, 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 I've got this. I can handle it. I'm the one that's sovereign over my life. And we therefore are trying to rob glory from him. And that is is what demands God's justice to come down in condemnation upon us, but He loved us so much He was willing to overcome it by sending Jesus to pay the price for us. What a beautiful, beautiful thing to recognize as we go to Him with our needs. And notice also that He says our request must be made by prayer and supplication. These words here, with thanksgiving. Well, we talked about it last week, but it's worth repeating. It's so important. I think sometimes, if I'm honest, I don't feel like I can pray. You ever been there? Where you feel like you don't really have the words, or you don't really feel like you want to pray even in a moment? You know, when I often find that in myself is when I've just done something I know I shouldn't do. I've spoken to someone harshly, my children, or I've not been gentle with my spouse, or I've not uh, been walking with the Lord, and my brain is telling me that he's not going to listen to me when I'm forgetting that Jesus already covered that sin as well. And here I want to give you some hope that even if our hearts seem hard or simply empty of words, listen to things like Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That word of thanksgiving implies something very important. It implies praising God, surrendering yourself to God, making much of Him. It comes from the same word that we get the idea of the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. It means in thanksgiving, in praise, in worship. And we're praising him for what he's done in Christ and what he's promised to do and what he's already proven he would do. And he fulfilled all his promises in Scripture up to this point. And any absence of thanksgiving or gratitude can lead to the darkening of our hearts. You see, I think the reason why we don't really believe God wants to hear from us is because our hearts are darkened, because we've taken our eyes off of him, and because our hearts then don't have the light of God shining upon us. And in that darkness, we feel like he'll never look on us or we could never be good enough to be in his presence. Or why would he listen to me now when he didn't listen to me earlier? But the scriptures are clear in Romans 121, like we saw last week. For although they knew God, he's talking about those that have walked away. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Thanksgiving, remembering what God has done for us in Jesus, and speaking gratitude back to Him is what reorients our hearts to the Lord. It's what makes it so that we can speak to Him again, even when our circumstances are dire. You may be asking, but how can I thank God for those circumstances even? How can I thank God when things are bad? And this is the weirdest thing, but as Christians, this is what we've learned to live in and that we actually find pleasure in in the midst of our difficulty. You can thank God for even the circumstances you're in because you know that in them and through them, He will work in you to make you more like Jesus. You don't have to thank Him for the hard difficulty of it, but you can thank Him for the difficult moment you're in because you know He's going to do something great out of it. He says He will do that all over the Bible. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose, he will use all things to your good, even the difficult ones. So the way to opening our hearts to God when our hearts seem cold is not to muster it up in like some kind of formality of prayer or not to just try harder. It's actually to stop and ask God to remind you of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. And then as he brings your eyes back to him, you just thank him for it and it lifts up your heart. In fact, it does things like lead you to singing, lead you to rejoicing, even in the midst of hardship. And that allows you to depend on the gospel. Now look, look at these words again, the end of verse 5 through verse 6. The Lord is at hand, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay, so what if you do that? What's the result? Does that mean you're going to get what you want every time you pray? No. And that is not what we espouse here. It's not what the Bible says that will happen, that you get everything you ask for in that way. You say, well, in some parts of Scripture it says you'll get what you ask for when you pray. Yes, it is talking about when your hearts are aligned with God and His will, you will get the response of God to give you those things. So if you ask for joy in the Lord, He will give you that. If you ask for, for help to love him, even when you're struggling, if you ask for help to make it through, that he would sustain you, he will do those things. But if you ask for a Lambo, or if you ask for some type of huge lump sum of money, you may not be getting that thing. If you do, call me. I'd love to show you how you need to tithe and give some of that to the church. I, I would love to help you think through how to invest that. I have a finance background. I, I would love to, to celebrate with you there's no promise of that, but he's promised you greater riches, which means you don't have to die and go to hell. He says we don't even have to taste of death, that Christ tasted it for us on the cross. So that when you close your eyes and breathe out your last, you actually immediately breathe in the glory of God in his presence for the rest of eternity. We don't have to even taste it. Those left behind suffer and are going before them but we don't have to taste it because he tasted it for us. So what's the result of such prayer for sure? Then what do we know we're going to get? Here's the answer. Look at that again, verse 5, 6, and on. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You get the peace of God. You may think, well, that's not a whole lot, but oh, it is more than you know, and it is more than enough. Let me say a few things about it. The peace of God spoken here is the inner peace that God himself has. He worries about nothing because he knows and sees all things and he's in control of them, and he is moving and maneuvering all things to the end for which he has already appointed them, so we can trust in that. And that inner peace he has this total not worried about anything, not upset about circumstances, not upset about someone doing something wrong to someone else. He will bring justice for that, but he's not worried about it or anxious about it because he is totally shalom peaceful because it's who he is, because he's in control and he knows all things. And that's the kind of peace you can have if you go to him. This peace of God is grounded, listen to this, in his presence, And in his promises to you. You may think that God wants your money. I made a joke about it a minute ago. God doesn't need your money. You may think that God wants you to do something for him. He doesn't need that either. You may think that God wants you to do this or that like a tit for tat so he'll give you something. He doesn't need anything you have to offer. But even though you have nothing to bring to him, He loves you and wants to have you in His presence forever with Him. Fully enjoying Him to a level at which we have never experienced that joy before in this life. We can taste it, but then we'll have it fully in His presence. And He wants you now to come face to face with Him in your time of need so that you can begin to taste a little bit of that joy in His presence even now. You may think you're going to find it in something else. Put whatever you want in the blank. You can find it, maybe you think, in your career, in your spouse, in your kids, in a bottle. You find it in some kind of activity and some kind of thing you do to make yourself feel better, but I promise you all those things will leave you lacking and you know it because they never make you totally fulfilled even now so far. They've never done it yet. Why would they start today? But the one who can bring that total fulfillment and that ultimate joy has already made it available to you in Jesus Christ, the righteous one who gave his life up for you on the cross 2,000 years ago in which now God is willing to apply that mercy to you now that you can have him and find that freedom from the worry and anxiety that might be riddling your mind and your heart. Philippians 1.6, earlier on in this letter, Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That peace that God provides is superior to any planning or schemes we could come up with. It's the peace of God that will guard our hearts and minds, not our abilities to overcome that. His peace that surpasses all understanding. And the way he provides it is in Jesus. Look at verse 7 again as we close it down. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts, keep you from anxiety, right? Well, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, there is only one way for this to work out, and that is if it's in and through the person of Jesus. For he is the way and the truth and the life, and there's no other way to the Father but through him. He alone is the way. And you may think you've got it figured out, but I can promise you things will happen to you, something will come at you, A moment will reveal to you that all you thought you could depend on and stand on will fail and crumble, and the only thing that will not is the sure and steady salvation that comes in Jesus alone. So I beg you today to put your hope in Him. There is no other sure hope, only Jesus. And he wants you to come to him with all your needs and all your cares and all your concerns. And he wants to replace it with the peace of God that's found only in Christ. I end with three verses of scripture to bring this through to you. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through no other, only through Jesus. Colossians 1:19. For in him, in Jesus... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. That means to bring us back together with God, all of us, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. This is how he did it, making peace by the blood of his cross. Through his death, we can have life. Through his sacrifice, we can have fulfillment. Through his giving over everything, we can find our everything in him. Through his... Without hope on the cross, other than his Father, who he knew would raise him, we can have hope even now in the direst of our circumstances. Because he alone has already overcome death for us in our place. He stood condemned. And in victory, he raised himself up over death so that we could have that hope in him. In Colossians 3.15, it says this lastly. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Listen Today is a day that you may not have meant to be here, but God had plans for you to be here to hear this message. And whatever he used to get you in this room or to get you online with us, whatever it took to get you in the place where he wanted you, part of it at least was so that you would hear this truth, that you can look for everything else to bring you peace and nothing ever lasts and you know it in your heart already. But the only thing that can and will and always does is the peace of God that comes through Jesus and his death for you on the cross. And the only way that really gets applied to you is if you repent, turn away from living life without him and put your hope fully in Christ the Lord. And today can be your day of salvation. Today could be your day of salvation. We don't know if we have tomorrow, but you're here now. And God has made his appeal to you through his word. And today is the day for your salvation to happen if you will put your hope in him. Listen, I don't know who you all are inside. We put on a front when we come to church often. But I know this, the Lord knows you and he loves you and he wants you and he's making an appeal to you today that you turn to him and find the peace you can only have in Christ. I'm going to pray that for all of you, for myself. And then if you need to talk to somebody about that, I will be here to the last one leaves do not, if the Lord's tugging on your heart, do not push him away. And if you don't have a faith family to be a part of, this is one we want you to be a part of. We welcome you here because the Lord has welcomed us with open arms, warts and all. I'm gonna pray for you now. We're gonna sing a song. You talk to the Lord. And if you'd like so, I can do that with you after we're done. But repent and believe in him today. Father, we need you. We need you more than we've ever recognized it. We have so many cares and concerns that can riddle our our hearts and our minds. But Lord, you understand that and you know it. Nothing catches you off guard because you are the sovereign creator and sustainer of this universe. And although we have sinned against you and we deserve your punishment, instead, you doled out your punishment on your only son, Jesus, so that you could forgive us and bring us into your family. Lord, I pray that you would bring someone into your family today that has not yet known you. I ask, Lord, that you let us be a part of that, that we could celebrate you and and be full of gratitude and thanksgiving toward you, that we could rejoice in you and give you the glory, and we could rejoice with a new brother or sister and lead them to find their hope daily in you. But, Lord, we know that it's by your power and by your spirit alone that that happens. So, Lord, would you move upon us in this place? We put our hope alone in you. Help us, Lord, to turn our eyes back to you. Help us to find our hope alone in you. And that we become making all of our requests made known to you so that you could give us the peace that's found only in Jesus. And we ask that all in his name. Amen.